Wildfires. They're scary, they're sad, and they're a big problem. Two of these fires are making California history, but not in a good way. New evacuations in Southern California tonight as a wildfire burns across some 2,000 acres. Currently, over 53,000 residents are evacuated across the state. Is this a problem Silicon Valley can help solve? That's what we'll explore today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brainstorm. I'm Michal Evram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. Michal, today's episode hits pretty close to home for you. Yeah, it it definitely does. You know, I've lived in the Bay Area uh, almost my entire life since I was eight years old. uh, So it's kind of a long time. And we've had natural disasters like other regions. You know, we've had earthquakes and we've had fires. But it's never been as bad as it's been in the past uh, two, three years. And it has impacted quality of life for everyone, you know, not just those who are in in really in the line of fire, who have lost homes. We've lost forests and our air quality has suffered. It's it's there have been weeks where it's been the worst in the world. And there have been weeks, weeks at a time that we couldn't go outside where the sky turned orange where it was dark, you're enveloped, you know, there's ash on things outside, on plants, on your car. And coupled with COVID and the restrictions there that we're dealing with, it has just been suffocating, you know, having your kids cooped up in the apartment and not being able to take them anywhere else indoors as well. I should add, this is not just my imagination or my own personal problem here. We spoke to a representative from Cal Fire, the biggest fire department in California, responsible for about 31 million acres of land. And this is what we were told. Well, this year's fire season has been unprecedented is the word that everyone uses. And and that's absolutely true. We have seen um, some of the largest fires that uh, the state has ever witnessed. So we have a lot of record-breaking fires that have happened this year. We have some of the deadliest fires on record this year. And also um, several of the most destructive fires um, have been on record this year. So we know Silicon Valley loves a good challenge, but is the tech community responding? Yeah, I think just in the past couple of months or so, I've finally been hearing from you know techies out here, um, people talking about what can we do? Because again, it's just, it's gotten really, really bad. And it's gotten to a point where I think people, people who have the means feel that either we do something to, to solve this or to, to mitigate some of what's going on or they leave. So there are a lot of different approaches, different angles and different technologies that are starting to, to be applied here, including drones. And um, a lot of companies are partnering with fire departments. But there is one startup called Rain that's hoping to dispatch its drones, what it calls its rapid containment technology, on behalf of utility companies and insurers. Fire detected. Mark one arming. Mark one taking off. Because, of course, it's also in their interest to identify and squelch fires. Well, it makes sense that the tech community would look at such a complicated 
challenging issue that's right there in their hometown and you know do what they do best which is try to problem solve with technology surely there must be somebody trying to combine ai or machine learning with other technology to take this on as well yeah absolutely um as a matter of fact just this past july cal fire started working with a company called techno silva that relies heavily on machine learning it's a company of about 50 people they're based in la jolla california and Joaquin Ramirez is the company's president. He's originally from Spain, and he calls himself a wildfire technologist. Technology's role is to bridge a gap between the scientists and the users. And the technologies, what we have to do is get the best science and create tools for those users. It's interesting. He says he's been in this line of work for over 20 years, but really feels like it wasn't until after the campfire in 2018 that companies started coming out in force to focus on wildfires. The deadliest and most destructive wildfire in the state's history is still burning today. The campfire has now claimed the lives of at least 42 people and nearly 230 people are still missing. So what does Techno Silva do exactly, Michal? There are two main services that they're providing to Cal Fire. The first is they create something they call a fire cast. They take data about weather, terrain, vegetation, and several other factors and predict if a fire started in this specific place at this specific time, how big of a threat would it be? They model out 350 million different scenarios every day and deliver that to Cal Fire so they can see the risks coming their way over the next three days or so. The other thing TechnoSilva does is that once a fire starts, they use their data to predict which way the fire is going to move, how it's going to act. Then they send that information not only to central dispatch, but to the phones of individual firefighters in the field. So any unit, when they go to the fire, they already have a simulation of what the fire looks like. As you know, taking action on the first minutes of the fire, it's absolutely critical. And sometimes it's it's important to, to take a decision, okay, well, left flank or right flank, which one should we go? Or for example, the fire, the dispatch says that it is here and we find many times that the fire is located one or two miles away and that's a totally different story. So when they go with the mobile app, they already know where the fire is, they can update the situation and even they can update and send images to the central database so they can see what's going on from the field. I assume they're using satellites to collect all of this data. Not to sound like a cynical journalist, but that's not exactly new technology. True, but it used to be they were creating these models based on satellite data that they received every 12 hours. And that's shifted to as often as 15 or in some instances, even five minutes. Thanks to the information that we're getting right now every 15 minutes, we can run those machine learning models on the fly immediately. So that's what is changing. And to be honest, it's not that much about the technology. It's more, more about the data that is available, which wasn't available before. And this almost real-time look at fires is what's so exciting for CAL FIRE. Here again is Christine McMorrow. This technology it allows us to do within minutes what previously would take um, hours to even days to gather this kind of data from various places, uh, you know, on the internet and and back, you know, before the internet uh, from the map room, if you will, and the data files. Um, so, you know, things that 
we can now do in minutes and those fire managers can have in the palm of their hand on scene and change those models based on real-time data. You know, we've already seen the difference that it's made this year, but into the future, once we have this in the hands of, of all of our incident commanders and our emergency command centers, it's going to make a really big difference in, in how we operate on the ground. So switching gears from machine learning and big data, I want to talk about a different type of technology, technology that was developed in a Stanford lab by a team led by Eric Apple. I spoke with Eric recently. There's this general misunderstanding that fires sort of start willy-nilly at random in the forest, but that's not really true. They actually start routinely in the same areas. Um, the vast majority of fires happen uh, routinely near roadsides near utilities infrastructure. And unfortunately, before our technology, there was no way to stop them preemptively. And so we've developed a gel-like fluid that uh, you can spray in these hotspot areas, uh, and it sticks on vegetation and remains there throughout the duration of the fire season. So by sticking well, uh, because of its gel-like consistency, it prevents the vegetation from burning so that even if uh, a match gets thrown into it or sparks fly from a tailpipe of a car, the vegetation will not ignite. I have to admit, I did not realize that cars running off the side of the road was such a big cause of forest fires. So we, in a, we had a publication that we published in 2019, so in September last year, where we showed that over 80% of all of the fires in California over the last 10 years were initiated in these hotspots. So if you could just eliminate those hotspots, you'd make a big, big impression on the overall fire portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing is, is if you have, you know, a lot of these fires and they're not the kinds of things that you ever hear on the news, you know, you only ever hear about uh, the couple of catastrophic fires that um, get away, let's say. but these firefighting agencies are expending lots of resources to put out every single one of these little fires, uh, resources that they could be spending both in personnel time uh, and money doing more things to manage the forest, such as controlled burns. This sounds pretty amazing, Brian. I mean, I, I love that people are looking at all angles of this and, you know, how to how to find fires earlier, how to stop these little ones from becoming big ones. Um, there's just, there's so much work that needs to happen. And it's, it's amazing to see that people are doing it. Yeah. And one really cool part of this story is that Eric didn't come to this as a scientist who had trained uh, for years to come up with technology to prevent wildfires. He's a professor of material science and engineering, and his lab focuses on developing materials for biomedicine, basically drug delivery. But his brother-in-law worked in fire prevention for the state of Hawaii for many years. And so like a lot of great innovative ideas, this one came from you know him having conversations with his brother-in-law and realizing that he could apply the technology of what he does in biomedicine to preventing fires. So here's Eric telling me about that conversation. In going through the ignition history for the state of Hawaii, he noticed that there were repeatedly ignitions occurring along roadsides and had inquired uh, about 
the standard retardants that you see drop from planes and whatnot, you know, why couldn't they be used to pre-treat these areas? And, you know, he was told that, well, they simply don't persist long enough. They're, they're not durable enough. And so you would have to repeatedly reapply throughout the year in order to continuously maintain protection. And it's just not feasible. Um, and, you know, as we were talking, it was clear to me that this is a controlled delivery problem. And the engineering requirements for a lot of what we were focusing on, which in my lab is typically long-acting drug formulations. So you could imagine instead of having to take a pill once a day, you could get an injection once every six months. That's the kind of technology that we develop. And it seemed to me that this was a, a perfect example of that same problem. You know, How do you keep an active fire-retarding agent on the vegetation where it needs to be? So how did you take that idea, that kernel of an idea, and in the lab turn that into a product? And what is the product that you came up with? You know, when we talk about drugs, a lot of people think about a drug as being a molecule, but really a drug is a formulation and there's an active agent. And then there's a bunch of quote, inactive agents that are typically called performance enhancers. And those are the things that get the drug to where it needs to be when it needs to be there. And in this case, we had developed some hydrogel materials that had some really interesting properties. And so they were really cheap and easy to manufacture and, and they could be easily sprayed. And so we were able to optimize these materials for encapsulation of fire retardants. Um, and it turns out that from a mechanical perspective, what's required of a gel to be injectable through a syringe is the same as what's required of a gel to be sprayed through a nozzle. You know, what's really important is that whatever you're mixing in, so you can think of our additives as sort of like a mesh, right? And what you're doing is holding a fish in a, in a mesh because it's, you don't want, you know, your fish to quickly wiggle away if that makes any sense. So in the one case, it's our fish is a drug and we're encapsulating it in a hydrogel that will just slowly dissolve away over the course of months with the fire retardants we're doing much the same thing you know the performance enhancing additives it's a a mesh of polymers that grab onto the retardant and keep a hold of it on the vegetation and the polymers that we use and are all cellulose based and so they come from renewable resources and are biodegradable what does the material look like? What does the gel look like? Is it what color is it? And is it gooey? Is it very liquidy? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, people always have associations with words like this. Typically, if people hear gel, they think of hair gel or uh, jello or something like that. But it's not really like that. It's more, I guess most people would think it's more like cream or heavy cream in consistency. It's kind of uh, a light, opaque color, so slightly white, because we don't dye it. The red stuff you see drop from planes is red because a, a dye is added so that the pilots can actually see where they're dropping it. Otherwise, it would be just slightly opaque. One thing that I found really interesting about what Eric is doing is he's coming up with a solution to stop the problem before it starts. And I think so often in our society, we focus on the problem once it's arrived, and it's so much more expensive and difficult to address it. Eric called his product that he developed Fortify, which is appropriate to you know, create a barrier around vegetation, and he and his brother-in-law have commercialized it and started a company 
which was purchased in May by Perimeter Solutions. Perimeter Solutions produces all of the retardant products used by the U.S. Forest Service and CAL FIRE. And Eric said that Fortify was used in several spots around California this fire season. So first of all, it's crazy to think that things this is already being used, and that means that things could have been worse this season in California um, and elsewhere. But is he going to continue developing technologies like this? I think his plan is to to continue with biomedicine and his lab. That's really you know what his lab is set up to do. But he did say that he sees a lot of you know opportunity for continued innovation and new technology in this area. So this brings us to the final person that I spoke to for this episode. Um, Gina Bianchini is a longtime Silicon Valley entrepreneur, and she grew up here in the Bay Area in Cupertino. She's born and bred Californian. And um, I wanted to talk to her because she not only has has been here and has been in tech for a while, but um, she recently, again, because of just how bad it's gotten, felt compelled to get people together and figure out what can we do. This has gotten so out of hand and has such wide-reaching impact uh, in the state. So she felt really strongly that innovation needs to to play a role here, and not only in fighting the fires, but to extend beyond that. When a fire can come through and and just burn an entire town, it's it's incredibly tragic. But that's actually something that while we can't necessarily control today what burns, we can actually control what we rebuild, where we rebuild, how we rebuild, what we use to rebuild, the, the time frame we use to rebuild, the way we think about the red tape and insurance and all of the things that get in the way. And so at least as an entrepreneur and as, as somebody who's like, look, I want climate change to not exist. It seems to me that's a little bit out of my control, at least today. But you know, something we could start with today is how do we rebuild faster? This is not my area of expertise at all, but I'm just sitting here and I'm like, how come we're, we're not having those conversations? If we are in uncharted territory in terms of the problems and the challenges that we face, then we need to also be in uncharted territory for the solutions that we are, we are driving towards. Is that in some ways accepting that the problem can't be changed, that the problem itself can't be fixed? No. It's saying, though, that the evidence is pretty clear that small wins are, are, are essential to progress. And can you explain why your focus has been or seems to be now on rebuilding quickly versus on other ways of putting out fires, using drones, using analytics to, you know, predict where the next hotspot is? Um, why, why the focus on rebuilding? A drone fighting a fire still means that people are losing their homes. The pain of rebuilding, if you can fix that, it makes things a little bit easier. It seems like the small wins that we can actually build towards right now are getting people back in their homes and thinking about how do we rebuild in ways that are sustainable. It just seems kind of obvious. So it may not be the sexiest thing in the world, but Sometimes the most important and profound things aren't necessarily, you know, sexy, bleeding edge technology. Sometimes they are, but sometimes they're not. So, Michal, 
I love what Gina is doing, but it seems like even rapid rebuilding, fighting fires with drones, it's all solving for the impact of the problem. And we really need solutions that kind of get to the root of it. Yeah, I I agree. But I think the issue is that the root of the problem is so complex. And while we're definitely figuring out ways to address it, you know, including climate change, there's a lot that people can do that these companies can do with innovation um, from a variety of angles, not just uh, tackling the root of the problem. The reality is that for the foreseeable future, we need to live with these fires and their impact. um, And technology plays a role here. Wildfire is a problem that is not a problem that we're going to solve just by suppressing fires in a more efficient or a a safer way. I think that the modeling that we're creating and this technology is way more important, to be honest, to be used in advance to uh, create what if scenarios for a community so they'll be ready in the future when an event happens. Okay. I think this technology is also useful for city planners to have some numbers to say, okay, guys, do you want to develop this area? Okay. This is what may happen if we have a fire here. Are you sure this is a good place? Because it may not be, but all those situations could be modeled and explained in advance for us to make a, you know, a, a more resilient California, not California, all over the world to really understand and live with fire. Joaquin makes a great point there. This is really not just a Silicon Valley problem or a California problem. This is a global problem. We've seen wildfires increasing in frequency and intensity around the world in recent years, in Australia, Siberia. And if the tech world can come together and help add to the solutions to address this, it would really be a benefit for everybody. Yeah. And I'm personally really encouraged by people like Gina and others whom we spoke to who are not only staying in the state, but are really committed to uh, uncovering these innovations and and fighting this really really big issue that we have to we have to deal with on multiple fronts now. Okay, that is it for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. The Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Wyatt Orm and Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold.